Okay. I think that that's your good side right there. All right, cool. That's it. Yeah, no, I like it. All, All right. right. It's Carcon Carne in Highland Park tonight in the parking lot of Michael's, an iconic hot dog place here in the North Shore. Uh, that's Alex Panko next to me, and Carcon Carne is presented by the Autobarn Mazda of Evanston. Alex, as we're sitting here, we're in the Mazda CX-9. This mm -hmm. is comfortable, isn't it? Yeah, no, nice. Is your seat warm it's enough? Spacious. It's, it's a nice-looking car. I don't want to get food all over it. I know. <laughs> That's the mandate. We have to be really careful tonight as we eat because it's a loner. Uh, but yeah, it's spacious. That's why I like using it for car con carne. I can fit a lot of people. In fact, are there other mountain climbers who you hang out with? Um, not so much in the Chicago area. I'm a little bit lacking in the climbing friends around Chicago. Well, if, if you had some climbing friends here, they, we've got three rows. Yeah. We'd be right. good to go. All right. So are you ready to eat some Michaels? Uh, yeah, let's do it. It's car con carne. Let's bust out the dogs first. All right. And we'll get to your story. Because they're hot, and I know you're starving. I actually am completely starving. So this is the uh, the perfect type of podcast. <laughs> exactly. So you've been going to Michael's since you were a kid. Yeah. Oh, you can't wait. I mean, you are ripping into that. Like, there's no slowing you down. I mean, you should show that for the uh, for the camera. This then. is the jumbo char dog. <laughs> Here we go. If you're watching on Facebook Live, it is it's a work of art. And they asked if I wanted everything, and I said yes. And he said, even sauerkraut. That, that threw me for a loop. I didn't see that one coming. Yeah, you know, you're deviating a little bit from the Chicago style there, but... I'm sure it's delicious, but you can go ahead and eat. I'll, I'll keep the conversation going. All right, I know first you're done. Uh, this really does look great. And Michael's has been here for a long time. Yeah, it is really good. And there goes the first sport pepper in the Autobarn Mazda of Evanston CX-9. <laughs> I'll have to retrieve that before I go to my house. Yeah, there, goes, <laughs> there goes the pickle spear. I'm doing my best. I swear I've, I've got the paper unfolded here so I, I can catch stuff. But this is this is challenging. Mm -hmm. This requires some work. No, I should have just. I, I could have picked like chicken chicken nuggets. Then we won't. But have why this would problem. you? No. Mm -mm. Well, the bun can't hold the weight of the char dog, and the, the relish and the the peppers are making it damp, moist. All right, so Alex, let's start with you. Let's start with your history. You were 18 years old? Uh, yeah, 18. 18 when you were diagnosed with? Um, it was a benign brain tumor, although we didn't figure that out until after surgery. Even benign, that's bad stuff, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I was having really, really intense headaches, um, temporary paralysis, and when they took me in and gave me an MRI, they'd found it had trapped a golf ball size amount of liquid that was putting pressure on all my nerves. So uh, it was a pretty bad situation. And uh, if they didn't get in there when they did, it could have, uh, you know, been one of those things you're walking around and then, you know. So you're 18 years old. You're a kid. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, you're, you're technically an adult, but you're a kid. Mm -hmm. I was the oldest uh, patient probably at, uh, at Children's Memorial, which is then in Lincoln Park. How long was the treatment? What, what kind of treatment did you have to go through? I mean, I was really kind of lucky. I bounced back pretty fast after surgery. Um, you know, there, there, was a, there was a little bit of uh, physical recovery there. And then mentally, you're, you're a little bit out of whack after a surgery like that. But it wasn't something, you know, 
I realized at the time that my family was so panicked after the surgery because they come up to you and afterwards a doctor and they do a biopsy. And if they say it's, it's uh, cancerous, malignant, I mean, that outlook is very, very dismal. So it's something I didn't really appreciate at the time, but then because I still knew they'd saved my life, I got really involved with Lurie's down the road. And as I've been involved with them, um, and I've gotten to meet kids and meet their families, I see like just how bad it can be, you know, especially if you get, if you get that malignant diagnosis. Well, you took this in an interesting direction. We see a lot of people doing this where they're touched by something life-threatening, mm-hmm. debilitating, and they come out on the other side and they give back. And I think, I think it does take a special kind of makeup or persona to do that, at least to do it to the length that you're doing it. Explain what you're doing now. You are going for the Grand Slam of mountaineering? It's called the Explorer's Grand Slam. It um, consists of climbing the seven summits, which is the highest mountain on each continent. They're all challenging in their own ways. Some are uh, more challenging than others. And then cross-country skiing to both the North and South Pole. And then as part of this, to make sure I have the skills for each one, the training, uh, I've probably been on another dozen, 15 maybe, uh, major expeditions and climbs. Um, I just got back from climbing Chihuahua, which is next to Everest. It's the sixth highest mountain in the, in the world, and it's, so it's the perfect prep for Everest for going into the death zone, so to speak, for the first time. And in doing this, how are you giving back? Um, so you know, I originally started to do this. It was a passion of mine. Um, I decided to climb Kilimanjaro, and I fell in love with it. And uh, so I kind of was thinking about the seven summits then, um, and I was looking around, I was doing my research for it, and I found that people who had done the Seven Summits used it to draw attention to a platform that they cared about, and it took me two seconds to say, okay, I, I'm Lurie's is obviously what I'm gonna go raise raise funds and, and attention for. Um, you know, bring, outside of bringing money into the hospital, really raise awareness for what these families are going through and show, you know, show not only what they're battling through, but how special hospital Lurie's is and show you know what they're doing for these families I, I can't even imagine what they're going through with these with these kids and the expenses mm-hmm. attached I mean it just the un, unforeseen expenses that are attached with treatment yeah no absolutely I mean you know I've met I, I volunteered um, a couple times at the Ronald McDonald house you know where they're literally putting up families I mean just think about it you can be a family even in a pretty good position and then all of a sudden you have a parent who has to stay home full time, right? Because, and then sometimes you have to travel. Okay, so not, not all these kids are from here. So they're, they're traveling here back and forth. And you can literally take a family that's actually doing fine and just complete upheaval. And then consider, you know, if these kids have brothers and sisters, like the, and basically life stops as it is and it becomes all about that situation. Right. From the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, that's your reality. So as you've been doing this, and as you've been giving back to Lurie's and, and helping kids and families, how's your health? Have you been okay? For several years after I had my brain tumor, I had to uh, go get MRIs and just to make sure it didn't come back, but I'm, I'm clear at this point. Um, health-wise, my, my biggest concern right now is I've been nicked up and banged up a little bit climbing. Yeah, you just had an accident, didn't you? Uh, yeah, 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 I had one in July. Um, it, it was one of those things that it seemed really, really bad at the time. Um, what and, happened? So I was training in Aspen um, on Snowmass Mountain, and I have to train. You know, I train pretty intensely, and I, I work with this company called Uphill Athlete, and they're great, but they're demanding. I mean, they're trying to get me up these mountains. 
So they put a training regiment together for me in Colorado, and I was climbing Snowmass Mountain, which is one of the 58 14ers in Colorado, mountains over 14,000 feet. And I'd left my GPS in the car, which I always carry with me. I had just forgotten it. So it's a very remote climb, and I summited, and I was, uh, was down climbing, and the weather... Summited meaning you I got reached to the, the top, peak. And as I was down climbing... Wait, wait, hang on. What do you do when you reach the top? Do you, do you have like a, a ceremonial thing you I do? I mean, for this one, no. I was just trying to get to the top. I'll take a picture. For, for bigger climbs, then, yeah, I have, I have flags that I bring with me, um, you know, for both for the Chicago Cubs, because I'm a huge Cubs fan, mm-hmm. um, for Northwestern, because I went there, and then for Lurie Children's. So normally that's what I do, but I was just training, and this wasn't a, a mountain that's particularly tough. Um, but on the way down... Yeah, well, on the way down, a piece of rock I was holding, using with my hands to down climb, broke off. And I fell maybe just two, three feet, but right into like a knife-edged rock that just went into my leg. And um, I looked down, first thought is, this is really bad, with a, with a few other words going through my mind. Uh-huh. Um, and I managed, I was panicked for couple probably four or five seconds and then this instinct does kick in you say you need to stop this bleeding so i reached in my bag and i took my coats out i wrapped the wound and then i tourniqueted above it so i stopped the bleeding but then i had a whole nother problem i didn't have cell phone service i lost a lot of blood i mean a lot of blood um and i had no way down this mountain and it was starting to get cold and rainy and my jackets were literally keeping my leg together so i crawled under a boulder and it was, uh, you know, I was kind of understanding the situation I was in. I, I basically thought it was over. Um, but then, and I passed out for 10 minutes. I'd lost a lot of blood. I came to and it had stopped raining and I decided I was gonna try to make a move because I didn't think I'd make it through the night there. So you were there and you thought, I'm dead. Yeah, I actually made goodbye videos to friends, family. Oh my God. Um, yeah. So I, uh, so I came to and it had stopped raining and so I started crawling because I just said I, I need to do something. And my intention, about a thousand feet below me, there is a campsite, and I knew there were campers. There. Sorry, not a thousand feet below me. A thousand feet below me, there was a cliff, and below that cliff was a campsite. So I was going to try to yell there and get get help. But um, after crawling for maybe a half an hour, maybe only getting 30, 40 feet down, I don't know the exact footage, may have been a little bit more. Um, I got one bar on my cell phone. Oh my! And God. I managed to get a nine one one call out and. Uh, I also managed to get through a, a text because there was a buddy of mine who was who was in Aspen at the time, just to make sure like coordinate things on their end. So I got a hold of them. I gave them my coordinates, and they sent a. Uh, they didn't tell me they were sending a helicopter, so th- they just said, "We know where you are. Like we're gonna try and get you." I thought I was still gonna be up there for a night, and uh, they sent the. I have to get this right because especially if they watch this, they're great. The high altitude uh, Army National Guard out of Gypsum. Uh, Colorado. They came with a Blackhawk helicopter. Damn. And they pulled me out of there. And so I owe my life to these guys. I tried to get their names and they would not give me their names. They said, we're a unit. We really appreciate it, but just thank us as a unit. So, um, yeah, you know, they they don't ask for any recognition, but they saved my life and they've saved many lives of people on those mountains. So they do a great job. See, here's the thing. You went through that. A lot of people might go through that and say, you know what? I think I'm done climbing mountains. Like, that was it. That that was enough scare. I, I'm done. I'm not going to... You're back at it. Yeah, well, you know, actually my biggest fear was if I get out of this, how is it going to affect me? Because I was so close to getting done what I wanted to. And so originally they said I probably wouldn't climb again because they're like, your, your nerve is going to be severed. You're not going to walk normal again and you're not going to climb again. 
go through surgery and they say, we don't know how, they showed me a picture to go, this is your nerve. This is how close you came to nicking it. You didn't, um, but it's still going to be maybe two months before you can resume um, weight bearing exercises, maybe two to three weeks before you can walk again, which was still a really good prognosis. But I had a climb in six weeks at Chooyu, uh, which I really wanted because it was my like my big test for Everest. Um, it's a 40-day climb and extremely intense on its own. And so three days after my injury, I kind of pushed it a little bit. I wasn't supposed to take my cast off. I did. And I was able to walk around my apartment. So I was like, wait a second, hold off on, uh, on getting rid of me from this trip. Right? So I told my guide company, Adventure Consultants, um, out in New Zealand. So. And they said, oh, well, if you can walk around your apartment, sure, you're ready for a mountain. No, no, I mean, they def. so I didn't have trip insurance. So I was like, guys, here's the deal. I'm going to show up, and if you guys don't think that I can make it, you tell me, and I, I will not fight you. I will go back down, because you really, it's a dangerous environment. So to give guides someone they need to be worried about is not fair to the guides. Right. But um, Adventure Consultants, I do all my climbs with them, so they kind of trusted me to like evaluate and show up there. And, um, and I did, and it was definitely, there were some days where it was really not acting well, but pushed through it, and uh, it's fine now. It's a hell of a story. Uh, take a bite as I ask you a question. I, I... He's starving. Mm. He climbs mountains. He probably has a metabolism that you and I can't possibly understand. So how far along are you as you go through this checklist, as you go for this Grand Slam achievement? How are you a quarter of the way? Are you halfway? Are you almost there? So on the mountain part, I'm done five of the seven. I have Jesus. Everest and Denali left, which I'm trying to do back to back. That's going to be fun. I'm literally getting off of Everest, flying to Alaska, and then going for Denali. Um, and then I have skiing to the South Pole, uh, which I'm actually leaving tomorrow to do. But then it's important to hit home, especially for anyone listening to this. The biggest goal by far is to raise a million dollars for Lurie's. Um, we're at 400000 and change, so we've done a tremendous job. But we have a long way to go. So, um, and so I how really, does that work? People just sponsor you through, a, through your website? So people can go on my website. I, it's good to, yeah, let's just, so it's Peaks of Mind, uh, P-E-A-K-S, like mm-hmm. uh, mountainpeaksofmind.com. And it's important, every, every climb I do, every bit of equipment I do, it is all paid for out of my own pocket. None of these donations, not a cent, goes to me or to help me achieve this. It's a personal passion project. It goes directly to Lurie's neurological, um, neurological research and uh, their pediatric brain tumor program. And uh, it's really important to also you know, note there that there's only been a handful of FDA-approved treatments for brain tumors. Um, none of them are really that that um, efficient or effective, and uh, only four percent of federal funding goes to pediatric brain tumor research. So the point is, you know, it really is an area where it, it involves people needing to step up to to you know find um, find some treatment options for it. And Lurie's is, has been you know leading the field in that regard. They changed your life. Uh, they changed my life, but more so like. So every climb I do is dedicated to a current or former patient of Lurie's. And I've just done my last two climbs. One, uh, his name is River. He's uh, a little bit over two years old. Uh, I had what's called an ATRT. This is not a tumor. You know, 15, 20 years ago, we talk about a great prognosis. It's still not a great prognosis, but it's far better than it was. And River right now is cancer-free. Knock on wood, he continues to be cancer-free. Uh, that's not something that would be very common, um, even uh, you know, over a decade ago. At the age of two. At the age of two. My God, I, I can't imagine what that's like for that poor kid. But the parents, 
Like having to go through that. No, like I said, I mean, like you just think about your day-to-day problems and, yeah. you know, the things that get you upset. And then you just think about literally this is your entire life. Yeah. Like everything on hold, this, 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 some of the, sometimes the stupid things we get annoyed with day-to-day, it's so irrelevant. That's it really is. They, 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 that's the right perspective. Okay, so uh, the website again. Mm. Sorry. Trying to get through your hot dog here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, well, as you're doing that, I should mention again, uh, Caracon Carne presented by the Audubon Mazda of Evanston, 1015 Chicago Avenue in Evanston. On the 22nd of this month, of the month of December, Caracon Carne is doing its first ever remote podcast. Now, technically, every recording I do is a remote because I'm taking the car and doing it somewhere. But on the 22nd, I'm going to have two musicians, two musical acts performing live in a car inside the Audubon Mazda of Evanston. It is Hi-Ho which is Jillian <laughs> McGee of the band Turnspit. Uh, also the band Outrageous. I'm not sure how many Outrageous members we're going to have, but they're going to pile into a car, and we're going to do this podcast inside the Autobarn Mazda of Evanston. That we're a car. Yep, that, sounds, uh, that sounds like, uh, how, how are you going to do that? Oh, I've had bands in the car before. It's it's a little close, a little tight. We'll make it I'm work. I'm thinking of like uh, Jimmy Fallon right now, you know, some of his yeah. power karaoke's and stuff like that. So we're going to do that on the 22nd, which is a Saturday. It's the Saturday before Christmas. Uh, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It's in Evanston. Maybe grab a bite in the area for lunch. Come on by and uh, watch us record inside a car, inside the Autobarn Mazda of Evanston. How are you doing on that dog? Doing good. Need, sorry, need me to buy peppers, more time? Those peppers uh, are great. I'm going to say hi to Maddie Rebel. Take the reins rule. All right. How's uh, it going? Let's see. Marty Murphy's watching. Paul is watching. Mike Sanow is watching. Thank you all for watching and for listening, of course, on carquincarney.com. So I want to get into more of... The, Surprised the, Mike Bruce isn't watching there. <laughs> maybe he's sharing a phone or oh, sharing yeah. a, a tablet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to get more into the mountain climbing stuff. But while we're talking about the kids, tell me some more stories about the kids you've encountered. Because this is the stuff that, to me, really resonates and, and really kind of bolsters everything you're talking about. The, the, the kids you've experienced, the, the personal stories you have. Right. Um, so my last, my previous climb was dedicated to a boy named Xavier. And Xavier, what, two and a half, maybe three. Um, he's real. so he has an ATRT tumor as well. And it's a really difficult diagnosis. And if you hear his story, um, which was what, last, so last New Year's, around New Year's or Christmas, um, he passed out unconscious. His family took him in. And, you know, they got this news that he has this tumor. And ever since then, uh, just to be candid, every time that it's looked like this battle might be lost, he's responded and fought back. And he's not out of the woods yet. He's had multiple surgeries. I think he had a second or third surgery um, recently after I met him. Uh, He had to have the surgery before he started stem cell therapy. Uh, From talking with his doctor, there's literally been times where this kid, they, you would think it was over, and he just keeps on fighting back. He himself is adorable. Uh, he's full of energy, and I'm talking with his family. Also, when I met him, he's very frustrated because even though he doesn't necessarily understand exactly what's happening to him, he's an energetic kid who's not able to do things he knows he yeah. should be able to do. Um, so he's completely adorable. He came up to me, shook my hand. I mean, he's like, he's two and a half, and he knows how to shake people's hands. And um, full of energy. It was really great. The one thing that was awesome is he loves dolphins. So he got, I believe, in Florida. Um, it wasn't Make a Wish. It was another foundation. He got to go play with these dolphins in an aquarium. And then the Shed Aquarium stepped up when I was meeting him. So he got to go be a VIP for a day at the Shed Aquarium. You know. And by the way, it's those things that Larry tries to set up. I mean, 
even when you have a bad prognosis, they still try to make every day. I say this for people, it's the simplest way to get it across. They try to make every patient feel a little bit like they're in their own Make-A-Wish Foundation. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's not going to make things, obviously it's not the ideal situation, but just imagine when parents are going through this and they get to see their kids smiling and yeah. laughing when Anthony Rizzo or you know, whoever shows up. It's, they, they, they try their best to you know, make the best of a terrible situation. I love that you're supporting it. I love what you're doing. Let's jump back into the the mountain stuff. You're leaving for Antarctica. Yeah. After, like I don't even know how you how you charter a plane to get to Antarctica. <laughs> it's it's crazy. So Do you have to? Is it like multiple planes and boats? And- I, so it's this is my second trip down to Antarctica. I went last year to climb the highest mountain there. This year I'm going to. Uh, to ski the South Pole, and then I have some other fun adventures planned, but uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. That's that's um, close to the best for now. Anywho, I, I bet you don't pack a Kindle for that trip. I, I oh, yeah, no, I definitely bring a Kindle. Really? Absolutely, no, I read a lot of everything from... I'm trying to get through all the Hemingway books, um, so I'm doing well in that regard. Um, but no, so we fly down first to Chile, to Punta Arenas. It's in the southern part near Patagonia. And you spend three or four days doing gear checks because you have a massive amount of equipment. And then you hop on this old Russian, like, military Arctic jet. And it lands, it's about a four-hour flight, uh, and it lands on this blue ice runway. And that's where the main camp is. It's from a company called Antarctic's Logistics Expeditions. And they're based out of Salt, um, Salt Lake City. So they have this huge camp. It even has a volleyball net. It has dining tents. They set it up every year. You know, they only have 90 days, really, to operate where there's sun. So right. They get it up and running, and from there, everyone from people going to photograph penguins to scientists, they start from there, and then they have these planes equipped with skis, and you kind of just go around Antarctica uh, wow. doing your thing. I'm sure there's literally nothing like it. No, I mean, the first time you get off the plane, you, you see yourself landing, and you're looking out the window, and you're like, uh, I don't know about this landing on a blue ice runway. <laughs> uh, and then you get off in the cold. I mean, so where the blue ice runway is, it is particularly cold and particularly windy, and you land on this thing. Antarctica's not necessarily that cold when you're there because you do have the sunlight 24 7 mm-hmm. when you're in the shade and when it's windy. Oh, I can't it's imagine. Like, it just takes your breath away. And you can never be warm enough, can you? Um, you know, it's really funny actually when you're doing these expeditions, layering is really important. You'll just you'll use like maybe just a base layer and a sweatshirt, negative 30 or negative 40, because your body's working so hard. And the last thing you want to do is sweat in these situations. Because if you sweat, you are going to get frostbite. That's so interesting. So you want to be cold, but not too cold. That's I'd a really delicate a balance. It is. So what you do is the moment you stop for a break, every hour and a half or so you take breaks. And skiing to the poles, it's, it's weird. It's stuff that doesn't necessarily freeze, like butter with brown sugar. Like we'll literally eat a stick of butter. I'm not exaggerating that at all. I have um, no problem with that. Yeah, yeah, Sounds yeah. great. So then you, when you stop, you, you, you go into your backpack, you grab your biggest coat, and you throw it over you just to stay warm for the rest break, and then you take it off and start moving again. What was the first major mountain you climbed, and what did that feel like? Uh, it would be Kilimanjaro. And, um, you know, so when I started doing this, Kilimanjaro is the easiest of the seven summits. To put the that in easiest. context, summit day, you still burn about five to 6,000 calories, which is running two marathons. Uh, it's high altitude, and so... We, we just ate that many calories, by the way. <laughs> well, hopefully not. Maybe. Uh, well, we haven't gotten to the fries yet. True. Hopefully. So, you know, Kilimanjaro, I didn't think... I'd never mountain climbed before in my life. I was looking... Yeah, you know, I, I was just kind of looking to do something different. I'd always modeled my life off of, um, you know, how you're doing in your, in your work and business and stuff like that, and I, I wanted a different sort of challenge. 
So I didn't necessarily think I could do it. And uh, other people, my friends and family, had never done anything like this. I don't think necessarily they thought so either. But the more I heard, eh, you sure you should be doing this, the more determined I was to get there. So I trained harder than I could. And it was still for me the hardest of my summits, not because it's the hardest, but because it was my first one and I didn't know what I was getting into. But after that, I've learned a little bit every time. I've gotten stronger and stronger, um, mentally stronger and stronger. Sure. Physically, you know, I'm training some days three to four hours, and then sometimes they try to have me do, you know, training climbs that are 14, 15 hours out in Colorado or wherever I can get onto a mountain. So physically and mentally, I'm there, and then technique-wise. You want to be efficient on these mountains. So let's say someone watches this, wants to, wants to do what you do. How do they even start? Like, uh, how do you, if someone watching in the Chicago area, someone li- living in Highland Park, how do you even you, begin? First off, it's really crazy. Um, in case you haven't noticed from like Instagram and stuff like that, Chicago, there's a lot more people in these big cities going to climbing gyms who want to try climbing. I think Instagram's made the world a little bit smaller mm-hmm. where people see these places and they see people they know climbing them. They're like, I want to go there. Uh, the first thing to do is cardio, cardio, cardio. It's aerobic, um, most of your work. Once you're there, it, we have the best little mountain in the United States, Mount Rainier. Uh, it's got every type of route from an easy, relatively easy, easy glacier climb to technical climbing. Um, I've been on there three times. I've done technical and non-technical for my first one. And it's the best way to see if you like mountaineering and kind of, you know, and kind of start dabbling in it. Um, Is that like the bunny hill? No, I mean, Rainier, because if you're coming from Chicago like me, it's 14,000 feet. You started, uh, your your starting elevation for the climb is 4,000. That's 10,000 feet of elevation gain. To put that in context, that's what, six or so Sears Towers. (laughs) And you're doing this in two to four days, depending upon the... And if it's four days, it's only because it's a more difficult route. So it's... I mean, you're going to be just as gassed on that as you might be on a summit of... Maybe not some of the harder ones, but Kilimanjaro. It's a great training climb. Wow. So I think what I've just decided, I will support you and your efforts (laughs) and what you're doing for the kids at Lurie's. I will cheer you on. I may not try that. (laughs) I, I don't like taking the elevator in the Sears Tower. You see, neither. I didn't. I didn't like taking stairs. <laughs> you never know what you're capable of until you try. Yeah. My ears pop. It, it takes a long time. I'm not into that. So I'm just. I'm going to cheer you on, Alex. Thanks. Yay. I appreciate Yay it. You. Uh, I do want to say Elizabeth just checked in and she said hello from Zavian's grandmother. Thank you for all that you do for pediatric cancer research and the oh, patients. Oh, there they are. I love seeing that. And that's his mom right there. And that, that's exactly why you're doing that. Yeah. No. I mean. It, it, I never intended, like, when I just started doing it, it was for me. I didn't think I was going to get attention for it at this level or anything like that. And the coolest thing for me has been when I come back and I look at my Instagram and there's either a family or, and sometimes they're families that are undergoing something not brain tumor related and they're not even at Lurie Children's. They just heard the story and, and nurses and they say, you know, we find this so inspiring. And I find that a, sometimes I laugh a little bit because I'm like, yeah, you know, I, 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 they're finding this inspiring, and I find them inspiring. So it's, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't, I can't imagine what they're going through, and sure. I can't compare anything I've done or any challenge to ones they're facing. Um, All right, so your Instagram, I, I'm sure you've got amazing pics. Yeah, uh, your Instagram I hope is. So. <laughs> I try. It's well, you've got access that a lot of us don't. It, it's it's hard to take. You know, it's actually really hard to take photographs and videos when you're um, when you're climbing, especially with sure. you know, frostbite. Okay. Like I bet that it brings some challenges. Uh, but what is your Instagram? Uh, it's Peaks of Mind Official again. P E A K S Peaks of Mind Official. So you're doing really cool stuff for yourself, for others. Uh, you're you're a really impressive, dude. 
Thanks, I appreciate it. I'm really it. glad we got to share hot dogs and French fries are next, by the way. Yeah. We got to, the French fries here at Michael's, the paper bag is practically translucent. They're that greasy. That means it's good. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it is good. You know what? I'm going to lose like 20 pounds in the next month. So, and I'm not. On. So, there you go. <laughs> uh, you're going to be in Antarctica. I might go as far as like Rensselaer, Indiana. We'll see. Yeah. Which, which can bring its own challenges. Uh, thank you for all that you do. Again, uh, the website. It's uh, peaksofmind.com, Instagram, uh, peaksofmindofficial. And if I could say one other thing, it's, you know, I really rely, and we're getting there with people pitching in anywhere, anything they can get. There is no gift that's too small. I really want this to be a Chicago effort because it's a Chicago institution that does a great job, but it's a huge source of pride for our city. So, uh, yeah. I love it. Uh, thank you for watching on Facebook Live. Thank you for listening on Carcon Carney. Carcon Carney, presented by the Audubon Mazda of Evanston. Happy holidays and good luck in Antarctica. Thank you. I appreciate it. I've never said that last line in my life. Yeah. And I love, by the way, they sponsor the cats, too, I think, so all the commercials. So go cats. Go cats.